Mary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims morning, appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe and it is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Fire Talk Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit. With subjects on eternity and the things we make that determine our eternal destiny. Hi, welcome to Fire Talk Radio. My name is Adam Grigsby, and we're excited for everybody that's listening on air right now. Uh, tonight we'll be discussing the important subject of unforgiveness and bitterness on the show. And uh, what we're going to be doing is discussing not only the importance of staying free from this deadly trap of the enemy, but also how to get free from it and what empowers us to walk in forgiveness. Because it's only by the grace of God. It's only by the love of Jesus in our hearts that we do this. The Bible says that we will, they will know us by our love. Amen? And so right now, the first verse that we're going to go to, I want everyone to go ahead, if you can, get your Bibles out, because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, as this is a Bible show. Amen? And uh, right now, let's just pray before we uh, start. God, I just dedicate this show to you, God, and we thank you for every listener that they'll have ears to hear and hearts to receive every word that goes forth right now, and that it's by your Spirit and from the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew twenty four twelve says, And because iniquity shall be multiplied, that the love of many will wax cold, but he who endures the end will be saved. This is speaking of the last days. And that word love, if you actually look it up in the Greek, is actually the word agape. And so it's talking about the love of God in believers. It's the unconditional love of God. And it's saying that in order to stay free and endure to the end in the last days, we must stay free from offense, that the love of God may burn bright in our hearts to the end. Amen? And so with that being said, um, the Bible's very clear that this is so desperately important that if we don't stay free from it, we very well could not forfeit a call and possibly even our salvation because it says, again, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And with that being said, Deborah, what do you have to say about that? You know, I think that uh, forgiveness is really, really important because, as you said, we can lose our salvation over it. And as as where the where the title for this show came up, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's just not going to happen. The, the only person that, that it affects is you. So the only person that is affected by, by unforgiveness is, is you and your eternal destiny because that other person is going on with their lives and, 
and doing what they need to do, but you're you're suffering from it, and a lot of health problems are caused by unforgiveness, and and it it's sin in the heart. I'm not judging. I've had a lot a lot myself, but um, I've worked through it with the help of the the Holy Spirit. Adam. Amen. And that's absolutely true. So it, we need to discuss this topic and learn how to get free from it. Understand that according to the Word of God, it's preparing us by saying that the love of many will grow cold in this last day. And so, so it's going to come. It's just a matter of how you're going to choose to deal with it. And in 2 Timothy 3, it says, and keep in mind, this is speaking of the church of the last days. You know, Paul told us that perilous times would come in the last days. And it says, and, and why would Paul call it perilous times? Well, simply because, Paul, simply because the saying, this, and we're talking about a guy that's been shipwrecked, beaten, and left for dead. So why would he call it kind of perilous times? Because he, so what he's saying is that in the church of the last days, there will be terrible times. And it says in the Second Timothy 3, it says, uh, verse 2, it says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So it's literally saying that this will be the condition of many in the last days. See, in Paul's days, it was pretty much black and white. I'm not saying there wasn't some sin in the church uh, in the last days, but it was very black and white. It was a radical church. It was an on-fire church. But Paul's saying that the times before, right before Jesus comes, that there's going to be so much offense around among, not among the true Christians, but among the unbelievers that have been planted in the body that act like Christians, that it's going to be very easy to get deceived and cause yourself to uh, stumble into offense. And uh, Deborah, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I know it's, it's the Bible talks, but I'm not, not exactly sure the scripture right now, how like if... Uh if anybody, you know, if you're if you're offended with somebody and you're having a hard time getting over it, then to you know you can try like by blessing them, blessing your enemies, bless those that that curse you, and and that's kind of. Yep, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it does it says Jesus actually gives the remedy for if if a brother is a, if we find ourselves offended, and it actually says for those that curse you to bless those that curse you to pray for those that despitefully use you, Amen. So in order to defeat something in our lives, many times we have to operate in the opposite spirit. So when we opposite when we choose rather than to avenge ourselves, but operate in the opposite spirit, that actually not only frees them but it frees us, Amen. And actually, it's so important that the Bible says in Matthew 5:24 to leave your gift before the altar and go thy way and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And he's talking about if your brother is offended with you. Um, I actually had a time in my life where one day God gave me this verse in prayer, and I was like, okay, God, who 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 who's offended with me? And he flashed that person before my mind. And when I finally did call the guy and said, hey, are you offended? He said, yes. So it's so vitally important. Why would it say before you pray, before you do anything, to go to your brother and leave your gift at the altar? Because offense is such a treacherous thing that happens in our hearts. That he's saying to go and make it right with your brother, even if he's even if he's wrong in his offense, even if his opinion is wrong, whatever, even if he's offended over something stupid and you know it, go and apologize anyway and make it right. Why? That that may not grow in his heart and possibly hinder his walk with God and possibly even his salvation. You know, and that and that's really operating in the love of God. 
And that's doing what Philippians 2, 3 says, doing nothing through faction or through vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, each counting himself better than the other. So many times walking in love of God will, will, will have to walk in humility, and you'll have to say you're sorry even when the other person's wrong. Why? For their benefit. Because Jesus, even though he was not in the wrong, he came and he did this when he died for us. Amen? And so regarding what Jesus did on the cross, we just want to talk about that for a minute. I know Deborah has some things to say about that. What do you have, talk to us about what Jesus did on the cross for us and, and what he said when he was on the cross. Well, with Jesus, with Jesus, he went through a lot, and you know he was he he was born to die, and he he came he came to he came to earth to 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 set us free and and to you know pay all our debt and and hang on the cross for us and and his sin. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually sweated drops of blood, and uh, he. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then, and then he was, he was, he was, and then when he had to carry his own cross on the hill to the hill of Golgotha, which looked like a skull, and he, um, with within all of that, he, he, uh, he, he carried his cross, and then he, 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 he was, he's suffering, and and I mean, sweating drops of blood, and then, and then he. He had, you know, his outstretched arms. He had the nails in his hands and in his feet, and he was whipped from crown to crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And I mean, he was whipped all over his body from head to toe. And then to add insult to injury, he was crucified in the, in you know, the nails in the in the in the palm, and then and then the feet. And a lot of people don't know this, but he was crucified naked. And then when he was uh, he really died from suffocation because every time he had to breathe, he lifted up his body. You know, he had to literally stand to lift up his body so that he could breathe. And, and in all of that, he looked down from from all that hell, that that you know, that torture that he was going through. And in Luke twenty three thirty four, it says. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And, and they divided his garments and cast lots. Adam? Amen. So right there we have a perfect example. See, God never does any, tells us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. And so Jesus exemplified putting himself and how we're supposed to put ourselves before put others before ourselves jesus exemplified that in what he did for us you know i heard a really you know great man of god once and uh he was talking about how like the lord told him one day that you know he esteemed him better than himself and they, and you know and being the man of god that he was he said you know god can you give me some scripture for that because that's kind of mind-blowing that you the lord of heaven and earth would put yourself before ours and and so like a, and one of the verses he gave for that was where right there where there were God's telling us to put the others before ourselves, and then Jesus exemplified that when he was on the cross. And uh, you know, I remember one day when I was in prayer, um, I just walked in the room, and honestly, I wasn't even. I felt like I kind of blew God off that day, and I was really very condemned about that. I hadn't spent really a lot of time with God that day, and I walked into my room, and God spoke to me, and says, "You know, I consider you worth dying for." 
So, I mean, you know, the, the value of something is determined by the purchaser. Like if some guy goes out and purchases a gold ring for $2,000, he's saying by his actions that he considers that gold ring worth more than his $2,000. So how much are we worth to God? Well, let me assure you that God doesn't make any bad deals. And so when he gave his life on the cross, he was saying by his actions that you are worth more to me than my own life. And um, I just, that, that's, I'm in awe of that every time I think of that. And uh, so, so everyone listening... What empowers us to walk in forgiveness is understanding and knowing the love of God. So let, just receive that revelation right now. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, if you're struggling with bitterness, understand this, that Jesus considers you worth more than his own life. And, uh, you know, and another verse that really helps us walk free is in James chapter 2. It says, and let me find the verse here, but it says that, one minute I'll have it up. Does anyone want to go to James chapter 2, and then I'll have that verse in just a second. It says that if you, it's, this is, it starts in verse 8. James 2 verse 8 says, If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you respect to persons, you commit sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he be, has become guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now if, you do not commit, now, if you don't commit adultery, but you kill, you're a transgressor of the law. So speak and do so, as men that are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to him that showed no mercy, and mercy glorieth against judgment. So I want everyone to look at that verse where it says, and this uh, where it, verse 10, where it says, whoever shall keep the whole law, and stumble in one point, is guilty of all. That means that everybody here is, is guilty as the next person of sin. Everybody listening, everybody in this world has broken the entire law of God. The only person that ever didn't do this was Jesus himself. And, so, and it goes on to say, if you, do not, if you don't commit adultery but you kill, then you're still a transgressor of law. You've broken just as much of the law as the other person. So you might be holding unforgiveness right now against somebody. Maybe I can't believe what that person did. Well, you may not do what they did, but you've done something. You've broken the entire law as well. So using this verse, you need to meditate on that and say, okay, look, I mean, I'm just as much of a sinner as that guy. And, uh, you know, and, and if, with that understanding, that puts you at the level field of the cross because really unforgiveness is a form of self-righteousness. You're saying, you're saying that somehow you're more worthy of forgiveness than that person. But really, before the cross, we're all the same. And with the verse that Jesus was, uh, Jesus was saying, we said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is uh, – I want everyone to think about that. He, he, think about this. He was literally talking about people that premeditatedly held a false trial, premeditatedly hired false, uh, false accusers premeditatedly plotted, uh, paid a guy named Judas to betray him, everything, and put this guy on the cross. And he, had, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's the understanding you have to have. If these guys, if Jesus could say of these people, they, they don't really know what they're doing, then I assure you, the person that did you wrong, it might be horrible, but deep down they're blind and they really don't know what they're doing. And in the, same, in the same way that Jesus said, he forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, you must have that same attitude towards the people that did you wrong. Deborah, do you have anything to say about that? Yes, actually I do. In, in Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35, uh, it, it reads, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often have you sinned against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid and he laid on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But when he threw him, but, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what he had, what had been done, they were very grieved and, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him to due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers his trespass. And you know that's just I, I, that is that is amazing to me because. Jesus said, you know, Jesus, I mean, that's, we have to forgive because even though a lot of times we don't feel like it, or we're thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to stay mad at them. I'll show them. And, but meanwhile, they're off and they're playing golf or they're drinking, uh, you know, whatever on the beach and they're watching the sunset and they, they've forgotten all about it. And it's really us that are, are, are suffering. And our our our, our 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 heart is 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 bitter is is getting bitter and hard because of that, and it just Adam. Amen. You know, um, there's some offenses that are that like they say it rolls off like water off a duck's back, but then there's other offenses that aren't quite so easy to forgive. So I really want to deal with some of those um, more hard to deal with offenses. You know, it's one thing when an enemy or somebody you don't know does something to you, somebody, you know, something like they cut you off on the road, something of that nature. But it's a whole other thing when your brother, one that you trust, um, comes against you and does something horrible to you. And there's probably people listening here, I'm positive, that maybe have gone through that. Uh, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, your father. Maybe it was a spiritual leader, which is oftentimes the hardest because these are the people you trust to grow you up in the Word of God, and sometimes these are the people that offend you. Uh, first, let me say this, that 
uh, and I'm going to go into this in just a moment, but let me say this, that if, uh, if one of your spiritual fathers offends you, you must see them, you know, obviously they're the leaders, but you must see them as hum- imperfect human beings. And you, just like Jesus said, your father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That must be the attitude you have towards them. But if you realize you're dealing with an offense that you just don't know how to get free from, you know, the first thing is to understand that I'm going to, re- and I'm going to read this verse to you. It says, for this very cause, and this is Second uh, Peter, and I'm going to start in verse 5, Second Peter 1, verse 5. It says, Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue, and in your virtue knowledge, and in your, verse 6, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control patience, and in your patience godliness, and your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to not, to not be idle, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he that lacketh these things is blind, seeing not only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. I want to emphasize that last verse. It says that the root of not being able to forgive, the root of not walking in these godly qualities, is you don't realize you've been cleansed from your past sins. I just want to make it clear. If you are a Christian and you've been born again, that would you, the minute you got born again, you were made a new creation in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first person you have to walk in is forgiveness is to yourself. Now, obviously, if we don't forgive, then we won't be forgiven. So and I, no, we're not talking tonight about people that are working through an offense, that admit that they've had a problem and they're asking for God's help to forgive, and by faith they're choosing to forgive that person and working through the offense. We're talking about people that refuse to forgive. If you refuse to forgive, then A, you don't really understand how much you, you've, been, you've done to Jesus and how much you've been forgiven. Understand, you've been, you're guilty of breaking the own, your own law. The sins you've committed put Jesus on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive this person. They don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and then let me also address this, that many people will say with that verse that Deborah was reading about the parable of the servant with the king and the, uh, and the, debt he, with the great debt he was uh, owed, that... You know, if you break it down into modern money, the, 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 the debt that that servant owed the king was like $10 billion in our currency. And then when he went out and found his servant, the money that he, owed, that he was owed was like probably more like ten dollars or $20,000. It's still a big debt, but it was nothing compared to the debt that he owed the king. And uh, so in the same way, if, and, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, because of grace, even if I walk in unforgiveness, I can still go to heaven because – you know, because now, now because of grace, if you know, I, because forgiveness is a work, and I'm not saved by works. Let me just promise you, Jesus meant what he said. Jesus said, "My word that I've spoken will judge you on the last day." When you stand before him, know this: that his word stands true. He he came full of grace and truth. He was preaching grace. He was not preaching law, like many people say. And that verse still applies. And when Jesus says, "If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven," you won't be. So you know, under, just establishing your heart right now that this must be dealt with in you, or it could cost you everything, even your own salvation. And uh, Deborah, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, that's really good, Adam. I was, I was, uh, <laughs> you're flowing with the Holy Ghost here because I was just thinking the same, the same thing myself. And um, you know, I was thinking about how, with, with, uh, in the scripture, I don't have exactly. You might be able to find it, but when uh, Peter was asking. Uh, Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? Uh, um, up to seven, I think it was. And he says, no, 70 times seven. You know, in other words, you got to, however many times your brother offends you, you've got to forgive him practically, literally nonstop every day. And uh, 
70 times 7 equals 4,900 times a day. And that's a lot of forgiving. And so, you know, I think with, with, when it comes to forgiveness, no matter what our, our, what has happened, and you know, forgiveness includes ourselves as well. It doesn't just include other people because we are, we are a person, but I think some of the, sometimes some of the hardest people to forgive are ourselves, Adam. You know, I, I think that we are sometimes the hardest people to forgive or to, you know, to forgive is, is us. What do you think about that? Well, just uh, regarding the verse, it is actually Matthew 18:21 is the verse you were speaking of. And it says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, it's up to, you know, 70 times seven. But then here's the good news that, you know, the, the Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The Bible says in Hebrews, I'm not going to go to that verse right now, but it says in Hebrews that, that um, we have that we have a great high priest who is not who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The Bible talks about how God remembers that we are but dust, and so if God remembers and holds mercy to us because He remembers that we're but dust, you must do the same for your brother. And here's the good news: for all your failures, for all for all your wrongs, for all for all the things that we do every day. Remember, we all probably most of us break the law, you know, every single day because it says one little slip, you've broken the entire law. So that means, and the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. So God extends 77 times 7 mercy towards you every single day as long as you come and you say, God, I, you know, please help me change and, I, and forgive me. And he wipes it away and he, holds, and he gives you mercy, you know. Um, I really, a really amazing analogy of mercy and grace versus judgment because the Bible says mercy glorieth against judgment. You know, judgment says... Take the, this is a quote that I heard one day, and it was just stuck with me for all the years. And it said, you know, judgment says, take the person that killed my son, and we've all put Jesus on the cross, and kill him too. That's what we really deserve. We deserve to go to hell for all of eternity in the lake of fire for what we did to Jesus. But God said, you know what? God, God didn't do that. So mercy would say, you know, take the one that killed my son and let him live. And but then, and that that's mercy. Mercy Mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Mercy, that's mercy. But God goes one step beyond mercy, even that, and goes into grace. Grace says, take the one that killed my son and adopt him and give him my son's inheritance. And that's what God's really done for all of us. And that's what God's done for you, believer. If, you, if you're here, God has chosen to adopt you. Even though you put his son to death on the cross, he came and adopted you and called you his child and has given you the opportunity to share in his inheritance. So that, that's, that's huge. You know, you and and you need and, and you must and in the same way that you're but dust, but God has extended this mercy and grace towards you. You must do towards your brother, Deborah. All right, I, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, I just wanted to take a, a moment on a side note, and I know we're going to be opening up the phones later on, but I want to make sure I give people the number uh, throughout the show in case I forget. The number is six four six. Six six eight two zero nine three. That is six four six 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 eight two zero nine three. You know, a lot of this, um, Adam. I'm I'm thinking about uh, the mercy of God and and in His forgiveness. Even if we just, you know, if we steal a, a cookie out of the cookie jar, um, or if we if we murder somebody or whatever it is, I mean, God, God. God so loved the world that he came down to earth and, and he he forgave us. 
And I just, I, I just, I'm, 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 I, w- I was thinking when we were talking before the show, Adam, and how we were talking about that one video you saw that was a really excellent, excellent illustration for the people of this exactly right here. Do you want to share it with us, Adam? Well, I wish I could show you the video, but obviously we're on the radio, um, and uh, maybe uh, on the next show I'll be able to find exactly maybe where to YouTube that. But basically what the video showed was it showed uh, a man sitting in his prison cell waiting, for, and it was, he was on death row, and he was waiting for his last moment. He's waiting for the time when the guard's going to come and knock on the jail cell and say, okay, it's time, and he's about to take the death walk to the electric chair. And uh, basically what happens, they, they take him down the hall, and what you see in the video is a guy getting strapped into a chair. And when the chair pans out, you see the guard, the innocent guard that was guilty of no wrong, the innocent guard sitting in the chair had chosen to let himself be strapped in the chair, and then you see the criminal standing there looking at him as, as he gets electrocuted in his place. And that's really, you know, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, it says that he, he hung between two thieves. He was literally taking the place of a sinner. It says he took the sin of the entire world upon himself. He took your sin. He literally became a sinner as if he was a sinner. And he said, you know, he said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus tasted the ultimate punishment when he had to taste what it was like to be re- to, to, for the Father to turn his face on, from him. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus himself tasted the rejection of the Father for you on the cross. And, um, and you know, and here's, and here's the thing. It's like, I'm going to go to uh, Genesis 45, and I'm going to talk about a story about a, a man named Joseph and what he went through. And this should, this should set some people free because, you know, a lot of people think that what their brother's done to them, what their pastor's done to them, what the leader's done to them has hindered their life. But I promise you, by the end of, when I get done talking, I'm going to show you how only you can get you out of the call of God. Nobody else. And if you go to the story of Joseph in chapter 45, I'm going to just briefly give a synopsis of the whole thing leading up to a point. But basically what the story is is that Joseph is a, is a man, and he had a dream. Many of you have dreams. Many of you have calls in your lives and things that God has shown you in your past, and you don't know why you're not seeing it come to pass. And so he goes and tells his jealous brothers, who already don't like him very much, it wasn't very smart, and they get jealous, and eventually they throw him into a pit, and then they decide to make some money and sell him into slavery. So now, so up to this point, Joseph stays free from unforgiveness. He stays free from bitterness, and he, he's faithful where he's at. He stays faithful to God, and he becomes ruler over Potiphar, his master's house. Well, over time, Potiphar's wife begins to think Joseph's pretty good-looking and decides she wants to have a, a biblical relations with him, if you will want to say it that way. She wanted to know him. And uh, Joseph resisted her day after day until finally she grabbed him by his garment and said, lie with me. Joseph did what the Bible says. He ran from sexual morality. He ran out the door. She cried rape. And Joseph found himself in a prison. So it would seem that every time Joseph obeys God, it gets worse. And keep in mind, this this prison is not uh, an American prison with cable TV and weightlifting equipment. This is a prison. It's a dungeon. It's 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 designed for you to suffer and you only get enough food so you can suffer more. You know, um, and it's so bad that, you know, he, he, and he was there. Keep on, this is a matter of 10 years. A lot of us are upset when we don't see the dream fulfilled in two weeks, you know. But Joseph was there for, it was estimated like 10 years, and then people begin to come to him with dreams, and God gives him the gift to be able to interpret these dreams. If Joseph was bitter, he could be say, hey, I had a dream once, just leave me alone. But he interprets their dreams, and in the end, Pharaoh begins to have dreams about a famine that's coming, 
and uh, Joseph winds up interpret. They bring him for the Pharaoh in the end. He interprets the dream, and overnight Joseph goes from the pit to the to, from the pit to the palace and winds up second in command over Egypt. And Joseph, through the wisdom of God, saves up enough grain to avert during these this, during seven years of plenty to to avert a famine. Then what happens is that they come to Egypt because now Egypt's the only place with food during the famine because of Joseph's wisdom, and his brothers wind up coming before him. And this, is the, this all culminates to this one verse, and I want you to read Joseph's response to all this in James 44, 45, verse 5. And he says to them, Do not be aggrieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me, for God sent me here to preserve life. Hold on, hold on, hold on. God brought you here to preserve life? No, no, you're there because they sold you into – no, no. God, you're there because your brother, even though the, the, the brothers and the devil intended evil, but as long as Joseph stayed free from unforgiveness and bitterness, no matter what he went through, God used all those things to bring about the call. What that means, believer, is that no devil, no preacher, no Christian, nobody can get you out of the will of God but you. Anything the devil brings against you to destroy you, if you will stay free from unforgiveness and bitterness and stay in obedience to God, it will only bring about the fulfillment of the plan of God for your life. Many of you have left... There's people listening, I promise, that, have, that are, or will be listening when this is on the recording, that have left churches out of a fence. And a lot of times what happens is we go to churches and we wonder why our spiritual leaders have come against us. We wonder why other Christians have come against us. And then what happens is you leave out of a fence and you go from church and you wind up becoming a spiritual vagabond and you go from church to church to church, ministry to ministry to ministry, wondering you don't know why you can't find this, per- this perfect spiritual place that won't come against you, that won't offend you. Let me tell you something. The very, the very fire, the very offense you went through was actually the very fire God was using to shape you for the plan of God for your life, just like the brothers with Joseph. Many of you have left ministries and missed churches and left places out of offense, and you need to go back and apologize Submit yourself and, and ask God for the grace to forgive and walk in forgiveness and serve there and be faithful and let that fire refine you and shape you into the plan of God for your life. Because it, it, the Bible says that we rejoice not only in, in, in the glory to come but in tribulations also, knowing that, and it goes through, and this is in Romans, and it goes through a list of the characteristics of the, the things that tribulation produces in us. The very the Christian, the very fires and the trials and the offenses you go through at the hands of people are there, even though they're allowed, they're allowed by God, but authored by the devil, but they're allowed by God for the purpose of refining you. Deborah? Yeah, that's some, some, uh, some good teaching and preaching there, Adam. Uh, yeah, you know, I was thinking about uh, Hebrews 12, mm-hmm. 14 through 15, and it talks about... Um, it says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And you know, uh, I mean, I can really, really relate to that. To that, uh, to that scripture, because um, you know, I was in, I was, I was married to, I was married to a man that uh, physically abused me uh, for a very long time, and it caused, it caused a lot of physical harm to my body, which you know, I still have issues with to, to this day. And for a long time, I'm like, I hate him. I don't like him. I, I, you know, I even wished he was dead. And and uh, when and uh, people ask me, they say, oh, uh, you know, they'd ask me, have you ever been married? And 
And I, I said, uh, I said, yeah. They said, we've heard from him. Where is he at? And I said, well, last I heard, he's in, in San, uh, in, uh, San Jose, California. And I hope he died in the earthquake because they had a real big earthquake right about then. And, and then, um, yeah, I really hated him. I was bitter. I was angry at a lot of stuff, even though I had my parts in it, which doesn't doesn't justify his actions and it doesn't justify him eating me or whatever but I I you know I hated him for a really long time and I, I had this like the Bible says the root of bitterness it sprung up in my heart and it, my heart grew cold and I you know I was just angry at everybody and I was really not a very nice person and uh well to be around um and then uh you know the Lord he came into he he came into my life. I received Jesus, and I rededicated my life. You know, I was back for different times. When I was married, I wasn't really, I wasn't saved. But uh, I, I received Jesus, and the Lord began to do a work in my heart. And then I realized that uh, what was going on, I realized I was hating him. I realized that hate is not a God because the Bible says, you know, I'm not quoting it verbatim. I'm just, you know, it's on my heart that, if we hate, it's the same as murder. And so uh, when that happens, I mean, literally every time I hated him, I was literally wishing him, you know, I was literally murdering somebody, and I didn't even realize it. And, you know, as time went by and, you know, wounds began to heal, then I, I, I slowly but surely forgave him. And sometimes you have to forgive by faith. Because you're not always going to, and, and believe that the feelings are going to follow, because you're not always going to have the feelings. And uh, about, sometimes toward the end of last year, I, I found out, I discovered somehow out of the blue, I, I, I discovered that he's been dead for 10 years. And I wasn't exactly sure how to feel. You know, I wasn't exactly sure what to feel. I had all these mixed feelings like, oh, he was my husband, and... I'm a wi- am I a widow or am I divorced? Am I a divorced widow? What am I, you know? And then, but, you know, I just, I, I forgave. I, I let it go. And that was a whole lifetime ago. And the key of it is it, it may not have been a spouse. I mean, even women, females abuse people, too. Uh, they abuse their spouses. It's not always men. It's mostly men, but it's not always men. You know, it could, you could be a childless thing and you're abused in in any form of fashion. You could have been abused by anybody. But just know that even if, which I'm sure Adam will have a comment on later, I, I looked around and I was hoping that somebody would, he never told me he was sorry. If he said he was sorry, then he was just, you know, he was sorry, but it would always start again, the vicious cycle. I'm sorry. Then it was the honeymoon phase, taking me out to dinner, giving me flowers. I love you, yada, yada, yada. And then it was beating up and it got progressive, progressive, progressive. But after I left, you know, I'm thinking, I never really ever heard him say, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, I'm sorry that I did this to you, Deborah. But then... Later on, which I'm, I'm asked Adam to comment on when I'm when I'm through sharing, that's not biblical because that's holding him to a debt, which I'm sure Adam will elaborate on. Um, but when I was looking for, and, and I understand from experience, I may not know how you feel, 
but I understand from experience, you know, of, of the healing process naturally, you think, you know, I want to hear, I'm sorry, but you just have to forgive by faith for yourself. Because, and just just to learn and know it's not your fault. If you had a part in it, that's fine. Forgive yourself and move on and do it by faith. Because sometimes that's what we have to do and sometimes we have to keep doing it. And we have to forgive by faith and we have to, we have to let, trust God for the feelings to follow. Like what Deborah was saying, uh, you know, a lot of times people, and obviously it's easier to forgive, you know, if somebody comes and says they're sorry, but let's face it, that's not always going to happen. And so how do you forgive if that person never comes and says they're sorry, never acknowledges they're wrong? Well, first understand that, because I, I know of a story of a woman who's, you know, her husband left her, and, you know, through the years she was holding unforgiveness, and she said, I just want to hear I'm sorry. And some of you might be in that boat, but understand this. If that's the debt that you're holding them to, you're still holding a debt, you must release them from even that to where they don't even owe you an apology. You know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing on the cross before we ever apologize. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stay in toxic relationships. Understand that. Um, you know, when, when did, because God forgave us on the cross, but when did we get reconciled? We got reconciled when we said, God, uh, please, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and we repented of our sins. At that point now, relationships can begin. Why? Because it says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? You know, the scripture in the Bible says if, you're, you know, if, your, bro- if your brother has offended you to go to them, and then it says that if they still don't repent, then you know bring bring somebody with you. And if they still don't repent, then take them for the church. Now, a lot of times, people I've had people come to me, you know, with those verses in hand, basically, and say, Adam, I think you're this, 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 and I'm offended with you. And that's not what that's talking about. You don't come to your brother until you. Know, the whole purpose of that verse is for reconciliation. When you know. I've quoted a verse there about striving to be at peace with all men. When you know that in a heart of love and desire for reconciliation, you can come to someone and tell them, hey, I want you to know that you did this, and I, and I really want to come back into relationship, and I want this to work out. If they're not willing to repent, then there's a point where, okay, you can cut that relationship off, but nonetheless, you still have to wish the best for them. All the bitterness and guile towards them has to be removed from your heart. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we walk in that? So I just want to stress that you don't have to stay in toxic relationships. However, you must still forgive. So how do we walk through that process of forgiveness? Well, it's the verse that Deborah quoted earlier where it says, bless those that curse you. When we, you know, you can think of forgiveness like a muscle, you know, and uh, every offense that we go through prepares us to be able to, and we work through that, it actually prepares us to be able to forgive greater offenses. So, um, and I'm, and and I'm going to go into a verse about Simon Peter here in a moment. But understand, the way, so the way you work, when a muscle gets hurt, in the natural, you have to work through therapy to get that muscle back into shape. So how do you get your heart back into shape when there's an offense that you don't know how to forgive? The answer is, is that you forgive them by faith, but then you begin to pray for that person. And you don't just kind of pray. You don't say, God bless them and give them a good day. No, David says when people wronged him that he, he, he prayed for them like it was his own mother. So you need to, so every day you need to begin to pray for them. God, I just pray for this person. You'll bless them, God. I pray you'll give them a great life, God. I pray that you'll give them their heart's desire, God. And as you begin to pray for that person, like you'll pray for yourself. At first you may see nothing happening. But as you begin to do it day after day and stay consistent with it, eventually you'll begin to feel your, in your heart completely in that, different towards that person. And that's you're, you're working that offense out of your heart. Why? By how? By operating in the opposite spirit. You know, and an exam- another example of how God uses offenses and uses trials, uh, however they come, 
but right now we're dealing with offense, and I understand offenses are trials. Um, this is uh, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. Simon, Simon, beheld Satan is asked to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have made supplication for thee, that thy faith fail not. And do thou, when thou hast returned again, to establish thy brethren. So Jesus looks right at Peter and says, hey, Satan's asked to sift you. And notice that Jesus said, but yea, verily, my hand of protection is upon you, and I will keep this from happening. No, Jesus told him it's going to happen, and when you return to strengthen your brethren. So in short, God will allow offenses, even at the hands of church members, even at the hands of pastors, to come against you. But you understand something, if he allows it, and you've been put in a church, you've been put in a place, and this has happened to you, that it was allowed by God, and the, the purpose for it is for you to overcome, for you to walk above that, for you to walk free from uh, bitterness, for you to pray for that person, for you to overcome that. The Bible says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. You either overcome or you get overcome, Christian. And so when you're in that, those you need to begin to pray for that person. You need to stay in that fire. Stay in that fire and let that fire refine you by walking in the opposite spirit and pray for those people and as you do no matter what anybody does to you if you get if you can walk free from that bitterness walk free from that unforgiveness it will actually strengthen you to fulfill the plan of God for your life we live in a fallen world Jesus said in this world you'll have tribulation but rejoice for I have overcome the world and so in the same way he's overcome the world Jesus over and how did Jesus overcome the world he overcame offense like no man has ever gone through his own creation nailed him to a cross but he overcame and so therefore we have the power to overcome through the forgiveness that was extended to us on the cross I don't care who does who's done you wrong go to them bless them pray for them but walk in the opposite spirit amen Deborah Right, that's very good, walking in the opposite spirit. Um, in Ephesians 4:31 through 32, it reads, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And in Colossians 3:13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You know, actually, sin, I mean, uh, forgiveness is a choice. Uh, it, it's it, we're required to do it, but it's also it, it's a free will choice. But it, if you don't make the right choice, you know, I mean, I think it's really just making the right choice to forgive. It's an act of faith, and it's it's an act of of your will, and it and it's obedience to the scriptures. And uh, Stephen, when he was murdered um, in Acts 7, 54 through 60, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him, because he was preaching, uh, Stephen was preaching to these people, they did not like what he was saying, and he says, so when, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him, and their and their teeth, with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, 
stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which basically means he died. Amen. And, you know, so right there we see an example of people that it seems like they know what they're doing. I mean, they're premeditated. They're putting this guy to death. They're throwing rocks at him. And it was headed by a guy named Saul, who, as many of you know, happened to become the guy that later the Lord appeared to him on Damascus Road, and he became Paul and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You know, so so Stephen, how did, Stephen was walking in signs, wonders, and miracles, even though he was not an apostle. He was in the helps ministry, but he was walking in notable signs, wonders, and miracles to the point where the devil used uh, blind men to kill him and put him to death. But late, you know, and and Stephen lying there, getting stoned by rocks right before he dies, says, "Don't you know?" Tells you know God not to lay this to their charge, just like Jesus on the cross. And so the, you understand when people do things against you, they're blind. They don't they don't really know fully what they're doing. You know, um, you know, you know. I want some of the hardest forgiveness uh, issue areas to forgive is you know in areas with like earthly fathers because um, you know a lot of times our our and our understanding of an earthly father gives us the ability to sometimes understand our heavenly father, you know, and uh, I was left by my, you know, real dad when I was like, you know, one year old, and then I was reunited with him later in my life at age 17, and uh, me and him had a very, very rocky relationship, and I was working through offenses with him, and many of you, you know, we are the fatherless generation. The devils were tirelessly destroy, to destroy the family. Why? Because he knows that this is part of how we understand the love of God. And I and you know, for years I would hear about how God's my father and I couldn't I couldn't grab it because I didn't know what a father was. And uh you know and it but he the Bible says God is the father to the fatherless. And uh you know, and what happened was as time went on, God spoke to me through a series of events that I was to go wash my dad's feet. Now I'm not saying that's what everybody has to do. But, I mean, I was specifically told by the Lord to actually get, you know, and I had to drive to his place with a bowl and a rag and some soap and uh, tell my dad that God had sent me there to wash his feet, despite what my interpretation of his reaction would be. And although I thought he would react with pride or I thought he'd react with misunderstanding, but instead he reacted with, it softened his heart, it softened my heart. And today, you know, my relationship with my dad is one of the best that it's ever been. And many of you, the Bible says to honor your father and mother that it may be well with you on the earth. So many of you need to go to your parents, just even in faith, just as a step. If you're unforgiving, you need to go call them and say, I just want to thank you for being my mom. I just want to thank you for being my dad. And go out of your way to honor them. Do something special for them and begin to pray for them. And let that healing process start in your heart. And ask God to more and more reveal his heart to you. But understand, you're going to be blocked from receiving the Father Heart of God if you don't start working through this with your own with your own parents. So for those people out there, uh, I guarantee that are struggling with this, and I, you begin to, you need to go to your parents. You need to go to and say thank you for having me, and begin to bless your parents, and begin to pray for them that God may do a work in your heart. Um, you know, and going on with what uh, Deborah was saying with with Stephen, you know, I was we were talking a lot about how when people do you wrong, they really don't fully understand it, and that's a major understanding is a major key to walking in forgiveness. And, 
later we find the same people that put Jesus to death on the cross. Peter in Acts chapter 2 is preaching the Pentecostal message to these people. And he says to them, he says, let all the house of Israel, and this is uh, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's speaking to the people that helped nail Jesus to the cross. And now, and then he says, and when they heard this, this is verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said to the, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Jesus said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it was like these people were completely blind, but we see later when the gospel is preached to them that, they, that the blinders get taken off and, that they're, and they get a chance to receive reconciliation to God. Amen. Deborah? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's really, that's really, uh, that's really good stuff. I mean, Peter, you know, when he's, and, and then laying down, laying it down and laying, laying it down, you know, laying down the, I mean, telling these people and then their, their eyes are spiritually opened and they are, they are, you know, they're just, um, they're blind. Yeah, just spiritually blind, exactly. And, you know, I, it's, I mean, I just feel led to tell you, the people that are listening and the people that will, will be uh, listening later, you are a precious person. You are a precious, wonderful jewel of God. And in his sight, you are more precious than, than his life, more precious than leaving heaven. You're beautiful, you're valued, you're loved, and you're priceless. And and you mean a lot to God. You mean a lot to me. Amen. And I just want to correct myself. I actually, uh, actually said, uh, uh, in one of those references, I meant I said Jesus, and I was supposed to say Peter, so I just want to correct myself on that. Amen. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, your precious. The Bible says that as your sands, or as your as the sand is on the seashore, so are God's thoughts towards you. Um, you know, you know, we just want to impart the love of God and the Father heart of God right now. And that, you know, if you can imagine how many grains of sand there are on the seashore, it's estimated that there's like something like over one billion grains of sand in just one cubic foot of sand. But God's saying that my thoughts towards you individually outnumber all the grains of sand on every seashore. You know, there's there's guys that write like love poetry to their women. You know, I'd cross the sea for you. I'd, <laughs> I'd climb the highest mountain for you. But really, it's just poetic words. But Jesus... Jesus means what he says. He's not exaggerating. And a lot of times we interpret the words of God, those kind of statements, through the lens of man. But God's not exaggerating. He's literally saying, more than every grain of sand on the seashore, so are my thoughts towards you. And despite, you know, what we've done. But remember, he knows that we're but dust, and therefore he gives us mercy. And so we want to impart that for everything, despite everything you've done, just come to God right now. And uh, we're just going to, I'm going to pray, first of all, I'm going to pray a prayer of release for the Christians right now, that, you know, you may be released from that spirit of unforgiveness, and that as an act of faith, you're going to begin to pray for those that have done you wrong, and that you're going to release them tonight, that you might be free. Everyone who's struggling, you have some unforgiveness, you have some bitterness in your heart, you know you need to forgive. I just want you right now to say this with me, say, Jesus, I forgive, and now begin to say those person's names right now. I release them from every debt. They owe me nothing. I, I, I put it completely under the blood of Jesus, and I bless these people. And by faith, right now, say, I love, and begin to say their names. With the love of Jesus, 
I release them completely. They have, they have done me no wrong. They owe me nothing. It is completely erased. I release them now in the name of Jesus. Some of you probably are getting free right now as you, begin to be, as you begin to pray that, as you begin to speak that out of your mouth. In the same way that God has thrown our, our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, so we may do that. Now, we don't have a delete button on our brain, but as we can t- choose to not to dwell on these things, as we choose to dwell on whatever things are holy, just, faithful, pure, and true, and think on these things, and, and not dwell on the things that have been done to us, as time, that memory will erode. That's time that it'll erode. But see, when we, it's like, but if we keep rehearsing the wound, it'll just keep it fresh. But now we're not going to do that. We're going to begin to go forward, and we're going to begin to release those people, and we're going to not think on those things anymore. And by faith, we're going to bless those people, and we're going to pray for those people in Jesus' name. We're going to go to them, you know, and anything we can to make peace with them. And at the end, if, they, if there's no peace to be made, fine. You don't have to stay in that relationship, but we're going to walk in forgiveness, and we're going to pray for them anyway. Amen. So and now for those that there may be people listening, and we're going to do another prayer before the show is over for anyone that calls in later. There might be people listening right now. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're listening to this show, and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You want the love of God. Say this, and the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you need to accept Jesus in your heart or make a fresh commitment to Jesus, say this, and they say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, set me free. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Give me passion for the lost, hunger for the things of God, and boldness to preach your gospel. Amen. If you said that and you meant that, I assure you today that your sins are forgiven. And now you can begin to walk with God. I would recommend starting in the book of John, begin to read through the New Testament, and find yourself a solid Bible-believing church. And in the meantime, you can also go to Revival.com. All of our services are aired live, and it's a powerful, spirit-filled church that will minister to you. That's Revival.com. If you live in the Tampa Bay area, I would recommend finding the River Tampa Bay Church. It's on Martin Luther King uh, near I-75 near Brandon. And uh, look it up. The, the, the address is online on Revival.com. And uh, feel free and please come and let God touch your life. Deborah, anything? Okay, and while well, Deborah's uh, working, working uh, on get, taking in the call, the new callers that are calling in, uh, we just want to pray right now. And uh, God, I just thank you for this next segment. As any callers call in right now, in the name of Jesus, God, that uh, this next segment of the show that's coming, that you'll bless the callers that are calling in, and that many will come to Jesus through this, the rest of this broadcast. Amen. Um, so we hope everyone has been blessed so far, and. Uh, just if you if you want to if you want to call the, the okay, let me give you the number again. I apologize, I haven't given it as much as I should. Uh, the number is six four six 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 eight two zero nine three. That's six four six 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 eight two zero nine three. Now I was thinking, Adam, as we were as we've been. As we've not only been talking here, but also talked other times, I was thinking like about that that woman. What was her name? The Jewish, the lady from the Nazi. Uh, Corey Timboom. Corey Timboom. So I was thinking about her and how she she suffered a long time in in the concentration camp, and then by through a lack of uh, it was a it was a mess up with 
with um, the paperwork, and she got released. And sometime after that, she saw the the man that was that had tortured her. And then, uh, so since she had seen the man that tortured her, all these feelings came back of hate and 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 everything he'd done, the fear, the anger, the you know all that goes with it. And then at first, she just didn't want, she didn't know what to do. And then she remembered where Jesus had said those words, if, you do, if you're not forgiven, you will not be forgiven. And because God honors his word, and his word does not fail, it, it doesn't return void, it always is. And so she she chose to forgive him. And when she shook his hand, she said that she could honestly say from the bottom of her heart that she forgave him. And I was also thinking, I'm talking a lot of illustration here, but I was also thinking about <clears throat> this lady that um, uh, she was kidnapped by, I guess, a serial killer. And uh, so he held her, you know, he held her hostage. And he, he she, she knew there was no way out because he was, he was going to kill her. And he told her, he, I'm going to kill you. But you can write a letter to your family to say goodbye and whatever you want to tell them. So she writes this letter, and when the family gets it, you know, of course I don't know verbatim, but she's basically telling them that she's going to miss the children growing up. She's going to miss a life with her husband, what, what you know, what might have been, what she would have liked to have with him, and missing the years with him, you know, just just growing with him and and just just being with him. And she'd miss her child growing up. But for them not to, not to hold resentment against against the killer to forgive him, because she said in her letter she was actually going to forgive him before he killed her. Amen. And you know, uh, I think you had also told a story, and I'd like you to go into that about a man who was uh, tortured. Um, in a concentration camp, and I'm, I'm going to let you go into detail on this, where basically, um, you know, the man had a chance to talk to his wife, and he told his wife that he wanted her to have the same love. Go ahead and elaborate on that. Okay, well, I was reading in the Book of the Martyrs, uh, so Richard... Uh, Richard Wormbrand, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, okay, Crucified okay. for Christ. No, it was a Voice of Martyrs. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, but... Um, so I was reading, and I was reading these stories about these horrific things that people have been through. And this guy, you know, he had been tortured for I don't know how long, um, on and off, and they drug things out back then, or just do today. And then uh, he was sentenced to death, and I'm not sure exactly how, but it's irrelevant right now because we're not trying to get the spirit in here. But he was granted permission to visit his wife before they executed him. And when he went and saw his wife, you know, they talked about this and the other, but then he told her specifically, he says, I want you to forgive these people. He says, because I can genuinely say from the bottom of my heart that I I love them because they don't know what they're doing. And I forgive them. And because they don't know what they're doing, and I want you to forgive them too, because I don't want you to be, like you said, holding on to the debt and, you know, having that. So then, I guess it took some time, but then I, she decided she's going to do that. Well, the guard that was listening, 
uh, overheard this, and he was, he didn't know what to say, he didn't know what to think. So where he became a Christian, he received Jesus. I don't know if the, I don't know if the prisoner led him to Jesus, but his witness, whether he spoke or not, led him to Jesus. So he received Jesus, and then later on, he was martyred for for Christ because he he would not renounce it, and he found that same love that the prisoner who was going to be executed found in in in, in Jesus. And and to the point where he would not deny him, and that he and he died for him. And it's you know the the Del Noah spiral love. You know there is a time to confront false doctrine. There is a time to come against. And the Bible says that to have an answer of those that would question you about your faith. So there is a time, and you know you see in the Bible where Paul did come against the false apostles, and Paul did confront, and we must do those things. But you know especially when it but but we all, but we must walk in the love of God. You know, there's another story that came to my mind about uh, one of the late, the, a lady who, she was a prominent person in the Roe versus Wade uh, court case that actually wound up making abortion legal in this country. And so for years she went through her life thinking it was perfectly okay to kill unborn children. And uh, she met these Christians, and they didn't, they didn't preach at her. They didn't yell anti-abortion arguments at her. They didn't show her, you know... I mean, we need those. The, you know, she. They just. They were. They befriended her, and they loved her, and they went out and they hung out with her, and they never. They never condemned her, despite the fact that she. Even though we as Christians can see that it's so wrong, but they never. But they understood that she was blind. They understood she couldn't see. The Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of the people of this world. They're blind. They can't see what we see so clearly as Christians. They can't see it. It, they, they, and it's and it's and one, one of the main things that's going to win them is by the love of God. People have no argument against love, and uh, you know, and, w- and when we sow the love of God, we we reap the love of God. Not always from the same field, but but by by faith, let us begin to sow the love of God like they did to this woman. And eventually, she said, one day, I was just sitting on my own. She was sitting like in a, in a in a doctor's office, and uh, they, they had pictures of you know, babies and fetuses and stuff like that. And the, the scales came off of her eyes, and then she realized that it was wrong. And today she's an advocate against abortion. Arguments didn't win her. The love of God won her. Let us walk in the love of God towards the unbeliever. Let us walk in the love of God towards each other. The Bible says, like Deborah quoted earlier, that to, to bear with each other's iniquities. All of us, all, all of our, our, our faults, our weaknesses, you know, all of us have faults and weaknesses. We must begin to bear each other's uh, faults and weaknesses. Bear each other's weaknesses. You know, walk in the love of God. The Bible, there's a scripture in the Bible, I won't go to it right now, that talks about being gentle with those, even those that oppose themselves. That there are people that are in rebellion. We must be even gentle with those. We confront it, but we must. But it must be in love. Jesus did call the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. He called them hypocrites. He called them every. You know, he called them some some pretty intense things. But that same Jesus was willing to die for these people. And a lot of times we think that we we need to go to these people and call them every name in the book and accuse them and and because that's what Jesus did. No, no, no. Jesus was willing to die for those people. And so you know, a great man of God said somebody came to him once and said, how you know. I really feel like I'm called to the prophetic, and that man of God looked at him and says, "You know what the difference between when you're walking in love and when you're walking in the when you're being or the walking in the prophetic and when you're just being critical?" And the man of God like was like, "What? What?" And Jesus said, "And and what? And what? And what sorry, and what he said to the man was, when you're when you're walk, truly walking in the prophetic, you feel nothing but love for the people that you're talking to. When you're being critical, you're just being critical. The words might be right, and I'm guilty of this myself. Jesus, help us all." 
but the but the, but the very heart and spirit towards it is wrong. The Bible says we can understand all mysteries, but if we have not love, it's nothing. We can surrender our body to the flames, and we have not love, and it's nothing. You know, Deborah had mentioned to me earlier about you know that where this same somebody that had also been tortured by communists said that it's not how much we endure, it's how much we love those through the midst of what we're enduring. We as Christians are going to go through a time of great persecution probably in this country sometime, you know, probably a lot sooner than what people think. And when that comes, we must be able to walk in the love of God towards our accusers, towards those that would persecute us. So start practicing now against those that have come against you. Go to those that have wronged you and say, I forgive you. Try to make things right. Walk in it now. Be strengthened in it now because we're going to need it in the days to come. Amen. Deborah, anything? And then, you know, I think about, you know, that, that has a lot to say, that gentleman that uh, wrote that book, Voice of the Martyr, and when he talks about Jesus, will not uh, judge us, or, you know, we won't be judged on how, how much we're able to endure, but how much we're able to love. And some of the illustrations I've given to these people have been through horrific things. They chose to love and forgive, and these are just a couple of samples of, of all the, just innumerable, countless amounts of things that people have been through. And I'm not exactly sure he said this following quote, but they said, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set a prisoner free and realizing that you were the prisoner. Because... Um, you know that we are the prisoner, and we just we just don't uh, we just don't you know we don't um, we don't we don't realize that that we are the prisoner. And I just want to give you the call number again. We've got about 51 more minutes, about 55 minutes. So if you want to call 646-668-2093, we'd love to have you join in on the conversation. That is 646-668-2093. We really want to emphasize that, that right now is really a time when we start taking call-ins. And if anyone needs prayer for anything, anyone has any, anything to say, we really want to start, if you, if you need prayer for anything at all, uh, this is the time where we open it up for people to begin to call in uh, and receive ministry, and we're going to begin to pray for people. If you're sick in your body, we'll pray for you. If you want to receive Jesus, we'll pray for you. If you want prayer through anything at all, this is the time, and we're going to go and pray for that. You know, and uh, also, I want to uh, give uh, the prayer line for uh, the church we go to, which is also open six days a week. It's not open on Saturdays, but throughout the week, if you ever need prayer, uh, the one that you can call one eight eight. It's either one eight six six or it's one eight seven seven. I think it's one eight six six. Yeah, it's, it's one eight six six. That's right. It's one eight six six eight five river. That's one eight six six eight five river. That's open Monday through Friday and also on Sunday. Uh, and that goes from seven to nine, and then it goes from eleven to one in the morning. So it's four hours uh, out of the night. So again, seven to nine and eleven to one in the morning. You can literally call in, and there's going to be people there that are going to be there to pray for you for any needs that you have. So we want to go ahead and open, and make sure that that's available as well for people that maybe you're listening to this once we've recorded it and you need prayer. And we're not going to be live, but there will be people there live for yourself. And we just uh, I want to again emphasize to go to revival.com. Uh, uh, and, you know, plug into the services there and, you know, receive from the Spirit of God. God has a mighty work for everybody here to do, but we need the Spirit and the fire of God. 
uh, to do that. And also, we, you know, we prayed for salvation earlier, and you know, we, now we've been talking about what empowers us to forgive. And we've talked about how it's the love of God. We talked about understanding how much you've been forgiven. We want, we want, I want to emphasize very briefly, I want to go off and talk about a very important aspect of the Christian walk called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Anybody that's listening right now, you say, I've, you know, you may, maybe you don't believe in speaking in tongues, and that's fine. You know, for those, but let me just emphasize that without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, without the gift of speaking in tongues, we're very limited in our Christian walk. And it's, and it's through a strong spirit that we endure what the day, what's coming in the days ahead. And so for those of you, maybe you would like to receive it, maybe you've never received the gift of speaking tongues, you've always wanted it but didn't know how. I want to go ahead and say a prayer for that. So if you're ever listening to this, I want, I want listening to this right now, and you want to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer. Say this and say, Jesus, you are the baptizer in the Holy Ghost and fire. Fill me with your spirit. I receive it now by faith. In Jesus' name. Now, this is what's key. The Bible says that if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will he not give the Holy Ghost to those that ask him? If you just asked him that, the book of James says, faith without action is dead. And then the book of Jude says, what that action says, you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. So it's not something God makes us do. It is an action we take. But once, once we have the gift, you just asked him, asked him for it, so it's already on the inside of you. When I count to three, take a step of faith. And when don't count pray in English, don't pray in Spanish, don't pray in any language. When I count to three, step out by faith and just begin to speak out some new syllables. As you do that, God will cause the language of his choosing to begin to come through your voice. You will not understand it. For the Bible says when you pray in tongues, we pray mysteries. A mystery is something you don't know. So your mind will not understand it. Well, you might ask, well, how do I know it's God then? You trust the word of God when it says that if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, that he'll give the Holy Ghost to you if you ask him. It's by faith and you trust the word of God. You'll begin to feel the power of God. So when I count to three, just begin to speak it out. One, two, three, now. Go you may feel a peace on the inside of you. you may feel a fire on the inside of you but that is the presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit filling you begin to pray in tongues daily and build your spirit man amen Deborah anything well yeah I think that's very important uh, that's our prayer language between us and, and our father that's prayer language between us and him and and plus the devil doesn't know what we're saying, and uh, he doesn't know what we're saying, so he can't he can't eavesdrop, and we don't even know what we're saying. So we we we're praying his perfect will over our lives. We might be praying, we just we don't know. We just want the perfect will. And I, I was thinking, um, you know, about in the forgiveness about Mary Magdalene, and. Um, also about the woman that was caught in in adultery, and uh, you know, basically, I mean, I don't, I actually don't have those in front of me, the scriptures, but I was just, it came to mind. Maybe when I put it back to you, you can you can read it. But Mary Magdalene, you know, she was a she had a sinful, led a sinful life, and and one day she found out that Jesus uh where he was where he was eating that day and where he was where he was dining and and she she just knew that he could he he was a merciful gracious person and so she decided she was going to go and uh just i mean she she went in there to where he was and she went down and she she leaned down at at his 
see. And she she just cried. I mean, just tears and tears just flowed on his feet, and she just washed them with her tears. And then she dried them with her hair, and then she anointed them with like a year's worth of, uh, equivalent of a year's worth of salary, and anointed his feet with that. And the the man, Simon, that he was having dinner with was pretty angry about it. Uh, he's pretty indignant, I should say. And um, so, so he was pretty indignant about it. And, and uh, you know, so what what happens in this in this chapter is that you know Jesus comes to to a to a Pharisee's house, you know, and uh, and that that alone says a lot about God His heart towards the Pharisees. That Jesus was willing. Jesus didn't just walk around hating the Pharisees. Jesus actually went to go eat with this guy. So Jesus even so Jesus loves the sinner. He loves the religious. Unfortunately, religion and tradition is some of the worst things that keep us out of the love of God. Religion and tradition without the love of God is death. And unfortunately, it wound up being to this to this uh, for this Pharisee. And uh, if we go to John chapter, let me go and find that verse for you. It's going to be in John chapter eight. And go over there right now. And it, and then John, this there's, this is I'm going to give this verse that shows the woman caught in adultery. Then I'm going to show the verse about Jesus in the Pharisee's house. We're going to go through both because they both lay a very important point. So first, go to John chapter eight, and it says, early in the morning, this is a verse two. He came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman taken in adultery, having set her in the midst. And they say unto him, Teacher, this woman hath been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law Moses commanded us to so and such, what sayest then to her? And then they and in verse six he says, And this they said, trying him that they might have whereof to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. And when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And then he stooped down and began to write, write on the ground. Now, I'm not going to speculate on what he was writing on the ground. A lot of theories about that, but it doesn't say, so I'm just going to stick to the Word of God. And then it says, And when they heard it, they went out one by one, beginning from the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman and where she was in the midst. And he, Jesus lifted himself and said unto her, Woman, where are they? Did no man condemn you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go thy way, and from henceforth sin no more. And then Jesus said, speaking unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, so first I want to emphasize that Jesus forgave her and just wiped it away. Now, and, and we have to do the same thing with our brethren. Now, I do want to emphasize that he said, go and sin no more. Now, again, the Bible says if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say when we sin, so the goal is not to sin. It says, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So Jesus didn't just say, you know, like there's a lot of grace teaching right now that says, you know, all of your sins... Just no matter what you do, or just just forgiven, and it's almost like you know, and that's not what we're talking about. Jesus, his encouragement was to go and sin no more, and uh, so that that is the goal. That is the goal of grace. That grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And uh, now we're going to go to the other verse where Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house. And while you're finding that verse, I was going to uh, if that's my interject. While you're finding that, I was um. Thinking about how a lot of times it's hard to forgive ourselves, and in Romans eight one it talks about there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who 
do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so, and, you know, you had mentioned earlier our sense where as far as the east is from the west and on the bottom of the sea, forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's very important. We may, it, sometimes it's easier to forgive other people, or it seems to be easier to forgive other people than our own selves. Well, it is, and uh, now, we're, and we're gonna, and here, the big thing with forgiving yourself is that you have to understand that uh, that when you that when you got born again, that you made a, you were made a new creation, and that's how we have to see ourselves. And I'm gonna go a little bit more into that here in just a moment uh, after I get through with this verse in chapter seven, and all this really ties in. So stay with us. And in verse, uh, in this is gonna be Luke chapter seven. I want everyone to turn there, and. In verse, have just a second. Well, you're going there. You know, I was thinking about how, how Mary Magdalene. Jesus said that the very, the very, when the gospel was preached, that 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 would be that you know she would be in it, and so we're pretty much fulfilling His words. With, with, this, with this chapter that we're speaking, and this is what it says. It says, and this is Luke chapter seven, verse thirty-six. And it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he entered into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman who was in the city, a sinner, and when she knew that he was sitting at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster cruise of ointment. And standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed him with the ointment. And I just want to pause and say, this is an example of what the Bible says when he says, he who has forgiven much loves much. We get the capacity to love like this when we understand, again, that, every, that all of us have broken the law, the entire law, daily. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, maybe like, like if Charles Manson was to get saved or some asthma, he would have the capacity. It's like, man, if I, I mean, I just wish I had some big testimony. Understand this. You have sinned just as much as Charles Manson. All of us have. So therefore we have the same capacity to forgive just as much as Jesus did. Um, forgive just as much as because we've been forgiven just as much as these as these the worst of the worst you can think of, and that's really how we have to see and how have see ourselves outside of cross outside of Christ. But in Christ, we have to see ourselves as forgiven, and this is what it says. It says, and this is um, uh, verse thirty nine. And when the Pharisees that had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have perceived unto that what manner of woman this is that touched them, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered unto him, Simon, I have someone to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say on. And a certain lender had two debtors, one owed 500 shillings and the other 50. When they, and, and when they, they had not wherewith to pay, he forgave them both. Which of them would therefore love him the most? And Simon answered, said, He, I suppose, that he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And turning to the woman, he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, and thou gave me no water for my feet. But she had melted, wetted my feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. Thou gavest me no kiss, but since she, since this time came, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. And my head with oil, and we have a caller in just a moment. We're going to take that call. My head thou anointed, did thou anoint with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but him is forgiven little, the same love with little. So this Pharisee was very self-righteous. He had no concept of how much he could be forgiven. Therefore, he had no capacity to love like this woman. But all of us have been forgiven in equal debt, so we all have this capacity. We're going to go and take this call now. 
Can we have two callers on the line? <clears throat> You'll bear with me. I need to, to answer them. So she's, uh, she's answering those calls? Um, hello, uh, 202. Um, welcome to Fire Talk Radio. The subject tonight is forgiveness. How are you doing? Um, where are you calling from and what's your name? <laughs> uh, my name is Joel Ash, and I'm calling for Temple. Hello? Oh, Joel, good to, good to hear from you. How are you doing tonight? Hey, how are you doing, Adam? It's good to, good to hear from you, Joel. And uh, we have another caller as well. Right. She's answering that call as we speak. Hello. 407, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Hi, what's your name? Hi, this is Aaron Sharp out of Tampa, Florida. Hey, Aaron, I'm so glad you called tonight. How are you doing? Both of you joining us at the same time, subject is forgiveness, and and I'm really, really so glad that you both called tonight. All right, so, Joel, let's start with you. I mean, what do you have to say about what we're talking about with forgiveness tonight? Oh, man, uh, uh, well, forgiveness, I think I know a lot about that subject because I need a lot of that. I need a lot of forgiveness. I've done a lot of things wrong in the past, and I've needed God, and I've needed His forgiveness. And um, with the example that you are, uh, just with the example that you you given about the woman uh, who uh, who received forgiveness from uh, Jesus because she knew how to love, I think that was a perfect example of the forgiveness, of the way that forgiveness works, the way it operates. It operates through love. God forgives us because He loves us. It's not because and uh, and uh, uh, he said it was he said your name was Aaron the other caller. Yeah, that's me. Yes, yeah. Aaron. Aaron, what mm-hmm. any anything to say? Any any comments or any prayer requests or anything you want to say? Um, I hadn't been listening. I, I just got off of work, but uh, I had something I wanted to mention about forgiveness. It's so important uh, for us to follow that example of Christ in forgiveness, uh, just in our own personal lives. Uh, uh, from my own experience, if if you don't, if you're not able to forgive somebody, you can never truly be forgiven or or, or forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. You know that's just a that's just a poison that you can drink, and it could really just destroy your life. And I realized that in my own life, and I think I think Jesus that He was able to walk me through uh, some really tough situations in my life by showing me how to forgive and how He's able to forgive me because of that. Amen. Um, if everyone has their Bibles, I'm going to go to a verse that really epitomizes um, the, the attitude that we have to walk in in order to, you know, because you know the, the Bible. The, there's very few things that can that can stop the forgiveness, the flow of the forgiveness of God in our lives. But forgiveness is definitely one of those things. If you die while while walking in unforgiveness, refusing to forgive somebody, the Bible is very clear that you'll spend eternity in this place called hell. You know, there's a story about a man who was, um, you know, and people can believe this happened or not, but the, but the, just take the point of the story. A man who was raised from the dead under a man named Reinhard Bonnke's ministry, and this man, when he died, he actually went to hell. He actually saw hell, hell, and the Lord spoke to him. His wife prayed him back. The Bible, she she she, she quoted Hebrews 11, where it says that where it says that um, uh, that he that, that people had their dead raised back to life. So she stood on that, and he was brought back from the dead. But the Lord spoke to him that if it, his wife had not prayed him back, that if he'd, he'd, he 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 would have remained in hell because of the unforgiveness that he had towards her, because they had had an argument uh, before they before he died. And uh, there's another story about a man who he was ignoring the call of God on his life, and he passed away. 
he got in an accident or something and he passed away and he stood before Christ and pleaded with Christ not not to send him away but to give him another chance and Christ relented and said okay but first I want to show you something and this, this is a real guy and the Lord showed him a vision a picture of his mother-in-law in hell and the guy was freaking out he's like wait 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 she she prayed she's a she's a she went to a full gospel church and the Lord said yes but she refused to forgive her husband so understand this. I mean, no matter how much you pray, if you walk in unforgiveness, it will keep you from eternal life. And uh, now we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 10. And it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican, which a publican in that time would be, in our time, would be the guy that goes out, he smokes crack, he goes to the strip clubs. He's, he's, he's what we in the Christian would call a sinner. And uh, But the Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I send you this, that this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that knowledge puffs up. You know, we can nev- the Bible says that we can understand all mysteries but not have love. It's nothing. Knowledge, we, we can come to a place as Christians that we think we, we are, we're, you know, we're not smoking dope no more, we're not sleeping around anymore, and then we drive by the center and we're like, that guy, with almost, I've even heard it, that, that guy needs to get saved. And we, and we look at it as if somehow by any work of our own that we've ever come out of anything. But understand, we must maintain the attitude that, you know, even in Christ, if we, if we even sin one time, we've broken the entire law, therefore we need as much forgiveness and mercy as that guy on the street, and that we right. extend that mercy and maintain that attitude that, that, we're not, that there, we're not right, that we're not righteous outside of Jesus, and we have to keep a humble attitude towards ourselves and towards the lost. And uh, we have 30 minutes left, and just please uh, go ahead, and uh, if anyone else wants to share on what we just uh, spoke on. Joel or Aaron? Yeah, I really feel like you have to you have to kind of keep a check on that uh, for sure, um, because I, I find myself falling into that trap sometimes where I've been saved and I've seen forgiveness and I've given forgiveness, which is one of the hardest things to do, and it really makes you see how much you know God loves us. Because if you can forgive somebody for something they've done to you, imagine what He's had to do to forgive you for everything you've done to Him. I mean, come on, if that's not love, then I mean nothing else is, but I've, I've seen myself fall into that trap where, yeah, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm doing this, this, you know, better. I'm doing that better, and I see a sinner, and uh, I, I really have to put a check on myself because I fall into that trap and I was like, yeah, that person needs to get saved, and I have to go back and re-humble myself, and uh, I'll be honest, not all the time am I able to do that, and that's, that's a tricky thing to do. <laughs> You know, and uh, I'm going to go into some more verses, Joel, uh, that that's going to help us with that. We're going to we're going to we're going to kind of go into that about what empowers us to maintain that attitude of, of humility before, and that we might walk in that. Joel, do you have anything to say about that? Um, yes, I do. Um, yeah, I think uh, the in the in the example that you gave about the Pharisee and the tax collector, I, I, I mean, the, yeah, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and about how they went before the Lord, and how um, the, the Pharisee was self righteous. And he he believed that his actions and the things that he did made him worthy of forgiveness. And the task, and the task collector, his heart attitude, the attitude that he had towards God, was that he already knew that he was unworthy. He knew that he needed a savior. He knew that he needed help. 
And I think that's why he was granted that's why he was granted forgiveness because he was able to acknowledge the faults that he had with himself. And right. and he recognized the necessity that that he had for his savior. He needed Jesus. He needed and it's humble. It's, it's a humble heart is uh, on, a humble heart is a heart that can, that can receive forgiveness. See, a proud heart can't even receive forgiveness because they truly don't believe that they've done anything wrong. Yeah, wow. and uh, I'm going to give another verse that's going to help us with this, and it says, this is John chapter 9, and I'm going to start with verse 1, and then after this I'm going to see if Deborah has anything to say about this. It says, as he passed by, we see, saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither did this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him that sent, I must, that, that sent me while his day. The night comes when no man can work. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed his eyes with clay and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went away, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they that saw him aforetime, that he was a beggar, said, Is, said, is this not he that sat and begged? And others said, It is he. And, and others said, No, it is like him. But he said, No, I'm he. And they said, Therefore, how, did the, how then were the eyes opened? And he answered, The man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to Siloam and wash. I went and washed and, and received sight. And they said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. And this goes on, and so the Pharisees, they finally get a hold of this guy, and the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight, and it goes on, and they tell him that, you know, he's not from God, and, uh, but then he, they asked the blind man, and he says, well, how did he open your eyes? And the Jews didn't believe concerning him that he'd been blind, and that he received his sight until they called the parents, and the parents said, well, why don't you ask him, because the parents were afraid. This goes on, and these things, and, and he says, they called him a second time and said, Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. And he said, Wherever he's a sinner, I know not. But one thing that I was blind and now I see. A lot of times uh, when we, if we get blinded by religion and tradition, I hate to say it, but a sinner in the world can have more sight than we can. You know, uh, the, the greatest blindness we can have is self-righteousness and tradition over even right. sin. And they and they said unto him, What did they say? What? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I told you again. And you don't 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 you hear? Don't would you would you also want to become his disciples? And they said, You they were his disciples. But we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God's spoken to Moses, but we don't not know, know where once he is. And what's amazing about them saying that is that Jesus told the Pharisees elsewhere in Scripture he says, If you really believe the words of Moses, you would believe in me because Moses wrote about me. So tradition blinded these people so bad that they actually believed the scriptures. They think they believe the scriptures, but they don't. And that's, that's a very dangerous place to be. If, you, if, you, if we don't stay humble before God, it actually, and we, we walk in unforgiveness, actually blocks our ability to even see and get, receive revelation from God, to really see our own condition and receive from the Word of God anymore. And um, the, this, this, these verses go on. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, finding him. He says, Does thou not believe in the Son of God? He says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said, You've spoken, and thou hast seen him, and he is that speaks with you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said this. It all comes to this. He said, For judgment I came into this world, that they that see not may see, and those that see may become blind. And then the Pharisees who were with him said these things and said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, If, and I want everyone to focus on this verse, if you were blind, 
you would have no sin, but now you say you see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus told a church in Laodicea, you don't realize that you're poor, blind, wretched, and naked. They had allowed their material prosperity and their religious knowledge to blind them to their true condition. And Jesus, even though they thought they could see, they were blind. In the same way, if we ever get to the point where we think we have it together, where we think we're better than any other people, we think we can really see, then at that point we become blind. And at that point, the person who wrote the, the sinner in the bar actually has the ability to have more eyesight than us. The greatest deception can come after Christ, not before Christ, when we are, or really actually start realizing that we're something. Deborah. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 some good stuff. I, I, uh, that's powerful scripture. Of course, the whole the whole Bible is powerful. <laughs> but I. Uh, Oh, quickly before I uh, give my thoughts, we have 25 minutes, and I want to give the phone number out again. It's 646-668-2093. That is 646-668-2093. A lot of us, like, I should say, you know, uh, Aaron, when you were sharing about how sometimes it's, it's you know, when you look at a person or something, you got to check yourself because, uh, you know, how you were saying. And I know for, I think, um, like, a lot of us that could happen. And I was thinking about how Hitler, even, uh, is on his deathbed, or Osama bin Laden, or whoever, the worst person you could think of in the entire world, if they accept Jesus in their heart, before they died, like two seconds before they died, they'd be forgiven. And in uh, all of this, I mean, the Bible throughout is about forgiveness. But then, like you said, his own creation crucified him. Jesus' own creation crucified him. And um, yeah, he said forgive them. Right. Yeah, he said forgive them. And uh, you know, that's just. I mean, that to me is is mind-boggling. I think sometimes I have a hard time this. You know, we can have a hard time if somebody takes their parking place or or that we don't want them to take or if they just do whatever, a little thing. But Jesus was without sin, and he said, forgive him because, I mean, we crucified him. What do, what do you, uh, Aaron or Joel, have to say about any of that? Joel? Yes. How about Aaron? Yeah, just anything you guys have to say, go ahead and uh, if you have anything to say or want to comment or add to that. Well, when you were talking about how that those those people who believe that they don't that who believe that they have it all together already, they are blinded. And, and you were talking and you gave the example of the Pharisees and how they were believing that they, they said they, they deemed that man a sinner and they didn't under, they didn't understand why he was able to receive healing because he was a sinner. And it, and I think they, they were from the, they were sitting in a position of where their religion and their tradition, from where they were judging him, they believed that they were they were more uh, ready to receive the things of God than that guy was. But and but you did point out that uh, yeah they they were blinded and and once 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 they had the law, they had the word, they had the law, they had the light of the word, so they were able to see. Mm-hmm. Because they wouldn't, because they would not use the the light of the word to judge their own lives and illuminate the darkness that was in their their own lives. Mm-hmm. That's why they were so easily ensnared, and that's why they were tripping up. That's why they were missing out because they were using the word to judge others instead of using it to judge themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow.
Wow, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. And they and they weren't walking in love the whole time they were doing that. So they were they were judging others without judging themselves. And it, it makes you wonder: or did they even love other people, or was it just love of themselves and then not wanting to hurt each other or hurt themselves? So how do we as Christians, I want to address that since we're on a very important topic. Now that we've dealt with forgiveness, we've dealt with how do we as Christians, you know, as we, we're supposed to grow in knowledge, we're supposed to grow in our revelation, how do we do that without getting puffed up? You know, Paul walked in such great revelation, and I, I would hate to say this if this would ever happen to me, that God had, had to send a messenger of Satan to, like, keep him humble. And I pray we never have to get to that point, but it was just like, uh, so, but how do, how, do we, how do we maintain, you know, that humble attitude? Well, there, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, um, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw a fresh vision of the Lord and his glory. I'm not going to go there, but King Uzziah, to illustrate, is a king that was made king when he was 16 years old. And it says that, and as a result, like you probably would, he began to seek the Lord diligently because he doesn't know how to be a king. And, uh, and it says, as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord prospered him. And the problem is, is once he got knowledge and learned how to be king, he got puffed up in his knowledge and says, well, I know how to be a king, and quit seeking the Lord. And eventually that was his downfall. And um, so in the same, Bible says we're kings and priests unto God. So it's like, you know, when we first come to Christ, we're like, man, we don't know nothing. And we, we read the Bible like our life depends on it because it does. You know, we seek the Lord diligently. We're in church every time the doors are open. But once we, you know, kind of get our four spiritual laws down, our baptism in the Holy Ghost, you know, our principles of prosperity, you know, then it's almost like we become like professional Christians. And don't you know? You know, and it's just like, and, you know, and I've, I'm guilty of this. So I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but we have to. But so how, do, how do we stay free from that? Well, a scripture that's become a life scripture for me is uh, Hosea 10:12, and it says, and this is a, this is a revival scripture. A lot of people don't think it's a revival scripture, but I'm telling you right now, it is a key to revival. And it says, "Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord." until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. What is fallow ground? Fallow ground is ground that used to be soft and productive, that used to be fertile, but now because of unforgiveness, because of sin, because of not seeking the Lord diligently, like King Uzziah, for example, uh, like the Church of Laodicea, who became puffed up in their knowledge and their material wealth, it says, and they didn't realize they were blind, it says now, he says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. It's when we once again say, God, I'm so desperate for you, and we begin to like we did, used to do before, we, we begin to get alone with God again. We begin to seek his face desperately. And that, with that seeking process breaks up the ground of our heart and makes it soft and productive when we humble. The Bible says if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. And the Bible says that if we seek him, we'll find him when we search for him with all of our hearts. And that when we do that, and how long do I have to seek him? The answer is until. Until what? Until the rain comes. As you, It's like you don't... I remember once I took 40 days and I just like went, really went after God and I thought I was doing something really great. And at the end of that uh, 40 days, God gave me Ho- uh, Joel 2:12 and 13, and it says, "Keep coming to me with fasting, with weeping, and mourning, and repentance until all fellowships have been restored and all hindrances have been removed." God was saying to me, "Adam, I don't want your fasts. I don't want your retreats. I want you to come after me until you find me. I want you to come after me. I want you to get desperate for me because you have to understand God doesn't make us desperate. If God made us desperate, we'd all be desperate. But we we choose what we hung. We choose what we are hungry for. We choose what we feed on. If you're hungry for physical food, you'll open the fridge six times a day. But that appetite's developed. If you watch TV for us, that you've developed that appetite. Push those things aside, whatever it is you're hungry for, and begin to seek his face diligently and say, God, I'm coming after you. I'm pushing the movies aside. I'm pushing all these things aside. I'm coming after you until I'm desperate for you again. And I'm humbling myself before you break up the ground of my heart as I seek after you, God, and pour out your rain upon me again. And it's that attitude of desperation and realizing that we're no better than the sinner in the bar. 
that we've been forgiven daily of the entire law, and as we seek after him like that, that helps us maintain the attitude of humility, and it's and it's through that attitude that we remain our retain our spiritual sight. Anybody else have anything to say about that? The floor is open. Joel, anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, you were talking about how we are maintain that position of mm-hmm. uh, being being humble and having a humble heart. Mm-hmm. And I think just um, I I I really believe that the way you maintain humility is just recognizing on a daily basis that you are in need of a savior and living your life and working out your your salvation with fear and trembling, like Paul said. Paul said that he, yeah he works out his he walk, he work, he's working out his salvation with fear and trembling. It's a daily thing. It's even it, even it it even can be taken down to like a a thought to thought basis on a thought to thought basis where every single thought you making sure that your thoughts line up with the word of God. Your thoughts line up and are obedient to the to the cross of Jesus Christ and where He bought for us on that cross. So, and if if you take it down, if if you take it that seriously, if you are if you are that methodical with your walk with Christ and you're just making sure that you are in God in every single thing that you do, you're, you're maintaining a, a humble heart. You're showing God, and you're also showing your flesh that you know that you're in need of God, that you need to make sure that everything in your life lines up with his word. And that's maintaining humility, knowing that you, you haven't arrived and just being diligent over every single area of your life, every single thought. Mm-hmm. It's, it's showing that you have humility. Is actually taking the word and then actually applying it to your life. That helps you maintain a humble heart. And uh, and then I'm going to ask what Aaron thinks, but I want to say with what you just hit on, um, you know, a lot of times people wage spiritual warfare against their thoughts, but what they don't realize is it's actually a trick of the devil to get you to just focus on those thoughts. You know, Joyce Meyer said something. If people will grab this, this will set you free in your thoughts. Joyce Meyer said she was struggling with some thoughts, and she said that the Lord spoke to her and says, well, great, well, why don't you just think about something else? Because that's really the key. The key is not to start yelling and waging warfare against your thoughts. The Bible says that to whatever things are holy, just, faithful, pure, and true, think on things. You have power to think about what you want to think about. So if you find yourself dwelling on bad thoughts, choose to dwell on the Word of God. Choose to say, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to begin to think about the Word of God. Because your mind can only dwell on one thing at once. And if you'll grab that and understand that those bad thoughts that are coming in your head, that's a work of your flesh, it's a work of the devil, but it's not a work of the real you, your spirit man. And you recognize that these are not my thoughts, and I'm going to choose to think about something else. And that is how you get victory over your life. You make a choice to think on the opposite thing, opposite and operate in the opposite spirit, and that gives you victory over the bad thoughts. Uh, Aaron, do you have anything to say? Uh, I'm just kind of absorbing, uh, <laughs> I'm busting up laughing over here because uh, I'm getting hit with a, some revelation right here about uh, you know, just how to keep humble, and uh, that, I think that's a great scripture, <laughs> say it's N12. Uh, I like how it says in the beginning of it, uh, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Mm-hmm. I really like that, that reap in mercy part uh, right before breaking up your fallow ground because when you think about mercy, you're you're having mercy on other people, and if you're able to have mercy on your fellow man, you're able to keep that humility, uh, because a part of you has to to surrender your feelings in order to show mercy, and there's nothing more humble than than something like that. So I, I, I'd never read this scripture before. Uh, Thank you for sharing it. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's like, you know, I just want to, you know, it's like the Old Testament, I mean, contrary to popular belief, is so full of revelation. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot about the mercy and the grace of God. And I just want to, you know, emphasize that. I want to hit that. You know, the you know a lot of times people think with the Bible that God, the God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament, the God of mercy and grace in the New Testament. And I just want to address, you know, He never changes, and uh, He was He was the same all the way through. Now His death on the cross enabled us to receive remission of our sin. His death on the cross enabled us to now be able to enter into heaven. But it's, His character never changed. He was merciful and loving in the Old Testament, and He's merciful and loving in the New Testament. And, he, and you know, before He would ever bring judgment many times, He would send His prophets to warn people repeatedly, hey, hey, God doesn't want to do this, but if you don't repent, this will happen. It, it, those are, I mean, and we want, to, we want to rule out the warnings of God and say, oh, well, those are the angry scriptures, but then, like, you know, John three sixteen, those are the love scriptures. Everything God does is out of love. Even, even, even his judgment, also even his judgments are to be desired. A lot of times when God would judge, even that was for the purpose of waking people up. You know, I want to, I want to go ahead and let Deborah go ahead and comment on that. You know, I was thinking about that, that scripture. Uh, it was like, uh, and finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are Noble. pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And, you know, I think about, about that scripture, this one we were referring to. I actually had to memorize that from Bible college. That's why, that's why I knew it off my heart. So, um, and I was thinking about those, and I was just, um, I just thought I'd comment on that one. I, I'm sure I had another thought on something else, but it's with me, but that's okay. At least I got that one in there. I want to give an example from the Old Testament. This is an amazing verse, um, and this is actually in the book of Joel. And if you know the story of the book of Joel, basically what happens is Joel is this self-righteous prophet, essentially, and uh, Joel, and God tells Joel he wants to send him to Nineveh, and Joel doesn't want to go talk to these heathen sinners, these uncircumcised Gentiles. He doesn't want to go talk to these people. And, uh, and so, uh, jo- sorry, not Joel, Jonah, I apologize for the, the J names, it messed me up. Jonah, he doesn't want to go to these guys, and uh, I got this look from Deborah. And I'm like, okay, I'm not preaching false doctrine, everybody. It's Jonah. So Jonah goes. So Jonah. So Jonah goes, and uh, Jonah runs, and they. He, and the Lord has to send a fish to swallow him up, and spit him out on the ground when he finally repents. And so Jonah comes up after he's been spit out of a whale. Probably the very sight of him was enough to scare them into repentance. Um, so he he preaches he preaches to them. And tells them, and when you, when you go to it, so and what's crazy is like he's expecting them to go forget you, Jonah, and then God to hurl down judgment on them. But instead, they actually repent, and then God says to him, and so now Jonah's, Jonah winds up on you know like a like a like a cliff, look overlooking the city, uh, overlooking the city, 
and he's upset because God hasn't judged the city. Like, you know, he's like the disciples in the, in the Gospels where it says, Jesus, should we call down fire on these people? And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know, and, and God looks at Jonah and says, should I not have mercy upon these people that don't know their right hand from their left? And that's the attitude that we have to have towards people in the world, like the, the, the abortionists, the rapists, the, the gays, all these people that Christians look at, and these, these evil people, you know, but God says, look, they don't know their right hand from their left. They're blind, and that's how we have to see them. Uh, Joel, Aaron, do you have anything to say? Yeah, um, yeah they, and I, I do believe that they are blind. They're all people that are, are living outside of the light of the word, they're blind. And they, like you said, they don't know they're right from the left. They don't know up from down. They don't. And it's sad, but they, the only way, the Bible says that the only way that, that that veil can be removed so that they can see, so that they can no longer be blinded, is in Christ. Mm-hmm. So until someone goes and actually introduces them to Christ, until they have Jesus come into their heart and do a work in their heart, until God comes and makes their heart his home, then they don't have the ability to see. They don't have the ability to know, to to live according to the word. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the job of Christians to be the light, to go and mm-hmm. take the light of the word to them so that so that they can see. We're supposed, mm-hmm. to, be, we're supposed to be ministers of light, going mm-hmm. and taking the light of the word to those people so that, so that they can, so that they can no longer, so they can come out of darkness and live in the light, so that they can no longer be blinded, but they can see, so they can see the truth, because they they can't see the truth because they're in they're they're in bondage, they're bound. Mm-hmm. But it's our job to go and pro- proclaim liberty to the captives, tell them that they can be free. They don't even know. They have no idea. So we have to go and tell them. Yeah. And to uh, kind of expand on that, it's it's really hard for a for a slave, for a captive to to understand the concept of freedom, and they'll keep falling back into the same traps. And that's where I feel like it starts to get really hard, and uh, I find myself having to put a even just tonight having to put a heart check on myself. Uh, you see bondage, you see someone in bondage, and you try to get them out of it. And I, I really feel like you have to really develop the, the fruit of patience in your life and and be able to have some peace as well because it, it's hard not to slip back into your own flesh when you start to see these captives and you want to have mercy on them and you want to be humble. And you know, that's the way to show them how to be a Christian, but uh, it, it's it's hard to see them slip back into a situation where you know where the freedom, the true freedom lies. Um, that's all I really have to say about that. Deborah, do you have something to say? Yes, I was just thinking about uh, how, you know, you, you, you've you mentioned abortion quite, quite a bit. It's just not that we're judging anybody, just, but abortion has come up quite quite a lot in this. And I just, I want to tell the ladies listening out there, if anybody has had an abortion, it's time to forgive yourself. It's time to forgive and let it go and receive the healing of, of, of that only Jesus can give you. It's just it's just time it's time to let it go because what's past is past and you can't let the devil keep you in condemnation. So for the ladies that are listening out there, if you had an abortion or if abortion was even forced on you, it wasn't your fault. So please I implore you, forgive yourself for healing because don't drink poison and expect the other person to die 
And when you drink the poison of unforgiveness of yourself, you're the one that ends up ultimately, whether it's unforgiveness of ourselves or somebody else, we end up poisoning ourselves and they're fine. They don't, they're not dying. They're off doing whatever. And just to, just, you know, so, um, just to, to forgive yourself, to let it go and, and realize that the Heavenly Father is there with arms wide open. If you receive Jesus and you're going to heaven, you're going to see your baby again. So just know that you are forgiven and forgive yourself. We have about five minutes. So uh, the, there's a call in is 646-668-2093, which is only five minutes anyway. So if anybody has any closing thoughts. I, I, want, to, I want to leave with, for, for those ladies, I want to say this. You know, there was a lady who... As a Christian, you know, before she was a Christian, she had had an abortion, and as a Christian, she had a hard time forgiving herself. But the uh, the Lord gave her a vision before the judgment seat, of, before before His throne, and these two children ran from the sides of Jesus in her vision and told her that we that we forgive you, and uh, you you're, you can know this that even if you've done this, your child is not their spirit is not they're 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 in heaven. They're they're in heaven and uh and they're they're in a place and one day if you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, forgive yourself and let God forgive you, you will stand before him in heaven and you'll one day be reunited with those children. So for anyone right now that does not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior once again, the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So one more time, we're going to leave with this prayer. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and please comment if you've done this. Please let us know if you've done this uh, by commenting um, on, the po- on the blog and say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Set me free. Thanks for dying for me, for rising again. Fill me with your spirit. Give me passion for the lost, hunger for the things of God, and boldness to preach your gospel. If you've prayed that prayer and meant it in your heart, you are forgiven. That thing is wiped away. It is in the sea of forgetfulness. And may God, and we're just praying a prayer of healing for your heart right now in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. And hey, uh, Aaron, Joel, can you hear me? Yes. Any last comments you want to say before we leave? I just want to encourage everybody out there to forgive others as much as you can. Um, That really is a bitter poison. And if you have a hurt in your life, if you're feeling uh, any pain, uh, you know, or your life isn't quite going the way you want it to, from personal experience, look to see who you've not forgiven in your life and just take that step out there in faith and watch how you heal yourself. Amen. Joel? Uh, yeah, um, real quick, I, was, I just wanted to say that humility is, is the key and, and forgiveness. And, and in order to accept forgiveness from someone, you have to have a humble heart. So you have, to forgive, you have to forgive yourself first of all the sins that you've done and allow Christ to come in. And, and, and you have to recognize that Christ is your forgiveness. And see, and in him, then you're able to forgive others. See, because forgiveness doesn't flow from the flesh. Your flesh don't, does not want to forgive, but it flows from the spirit. So in the spirit, in Christ, you'll be able to forgive any and every offense that comes against your way. So just make sure you stay in Christ, and in Christ, then you can walk in forgiveness. 
And, you know, yes. we talked about humility. I guess we should do a whole show on humility now. But, um, but you know, I want to say is humility is knowing who you are outside of Christ and knowing who you are in Christ. Hmm. You know, a truly humble person knows those two things. So understand, outside of Christ, that you're, you're ungodly, you're a sinner, but in Christ, wherever you're at spiritually, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that your sins have been forgiven and and that even in the Bible, in the, the, like it says, you keep coming to God daily. It's like He washes. That He He always sees you. The Bible says that that you know Him who is made clean only needs to have His feet washed. It's when Peter was getting his feet washed by Jesus, and well, that's a revelation there that if we are righteous in Him, we just have to come for cleansing. But our identity in Him doesn't change. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Walk in that revelation. We're going to do a whole show on that, but right now we have to go. But God bless everybody, and uh, Deborah wants to say one last thing, and we're going to go. Yeah, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm, I'm really glad that you came, Joel and Aaron, and I, I think we're still on the air. But <laughs> um, thanks for joining us tonight. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you too. All right, God bless you guys. We'll talk to everyone next week. God bless you.